Good morning, welcome to Church Online. Today we talk about what happens when we deconstruct our faith to the point of following with simplicity. See you soon. Sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope and no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty my orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to death G'day there, great to have you in church this morning. We uh, pray that if you're just tuning in to check out Kenmore Church, we'd love you to make uh, contact with us on the website at kenmore.church forward slash connect. There's a very simple form there where you can make contact with us and and I'll respond personally to you and and hopefully book you in for a coffee and we'd love to talk to you personally and hear your story. Today we're really talking about the issue of what it means to deconstruct our faith somewhat. And that's this word deconstruction, it really follows what's happening in our world today where there's a term for just about everything. There's the word uh, ghosting or, or gaslighting or woke. There's all these terms that mean certain things and they've always meant something but these days they've been used to define something else and deconstruction is one of those words. And what it's talking about there in the in the realm of our Christian faith most commonly in the media is to really go through it's talking about the experience of uh, pulling apart our view of church, our view of uh, Christian faith, our theology, pulling apart piece by piece and reassessing the validity of each one of those pieces. And it's a very unsettling process for many people. Uh, personally, I've been doing that for almost 40 years of my Christian faith. It's, it's rechecking, reassessing the validity of what I believe. But these days it's taken on a whole new complexion as people of the new generation, the emerging generation, are quite openly challenging the core practices, core beliefs. Uh, a lot of the things that we've been taught and perhaps taken for granted but may not be so necessarily fundamental to the core of what is life with God. And so all these things are coming up for grabs. Some of them, some of them are passing through that test well and remaining. Some of them are being challenged quite clearly. And often it can feel like a negative process, but, but often if it's done well, it can actually be a positive process. And so we shouldn't really be afraid of deconstruction or going through the reassessing sort of phase ourselves. But the challenge happens when we start to pull apart the areas of uh, previous assumption and we begin to pull apart even our own lifestyle and, and the things that we've done, the rhythms of life. Where I go to church or I go to youth group or I, I do this and we haven't really questioned why but when we do question why we think well we could probably do without that. It's not necessarily defined so clearly in the Bible or uh, mandated by Jesus as a way that we should live. But if we pull enough of those blocks of our life apart, sometimes we find that within the core of those blocks, there's nothing there. We realize that 
all my Christian faith has just been about the habits and rituals and, and lifestyle practices that I've been about. But my life with God, where is that? Where's my experience of Him? Where's my experience of the Spirit? Where's, where's my sense of power coming from the fact that He's supposed to be within me uh, and making a difference in my life? And often people come out of that phase really wondering who they are, who God is. They, they really may come back to saying, well, look, I do believe there is a God, but now I don't know how to define him. I don't know how to live with him because everything in my life has been built around everything but a really personal relationship that's empowered my life. And, you know, it's the same confusing process that even happened incredibly in the middle of Jesus' ministry, right at the, at the high tide mark of where he was in popularity and the amount of followers around him. It was right at that moment, there was a real tipping point where things comprehensively shifted as people began to question who he was, uh, what he was about, because he wasn't fitting the box. He wasn't fitting the religious box. And so they're beginning, they're beginning to challenge what he's about. And in their own eyes, Jesus, even Jesus, didn't come up trumps. But he wasn't scared of the whole process. In, in fact, he embraced it. And if anything, he doubled down on it. He took it to a whole new place. And if you look in John chapter 6 in your own Bible, and we're going to uh, open this scripture now in a moment, you see this confrontation he's having. He's just um, uh, fed the 5,000. He's walked on water. He's fed the 4,000. And yet the Pharisees and the religious types who, who've lived their whole life, their whole career, their income, everything, their status in their community is based on these building blocks of life these core assumptions about what it is to live with God, who God is, how God should be uh, acting, what he would do, and if Jesus is indeed the Messiah, what he would be doing. And Jesus is just openly deconstructing them and confronting them. And so he says to them, you know, you've come to me and, uh, and you're questioning who I, who I am. He says, but think of it this way. There was, when God gave you manna in the desert, reflecting back to the Israelites, uh, as they were coming out of Egypt, a very core, fundamental, integral part of the fabric of the story of, of Israel. The Pharisees always reflected back to, to the Exodus out of Egypt. He says, when that, when that happened, you guys ate manna in the desert. God gave you food to eat. And then he said, I'm that food. You need to eat of me if you want to come to God. And he was using it as a, as a sort of allegory. He, you know, he didn't explain himself. He didn't make it too clear. But they came back and they went, what did you say? Are you, are you saying we need to eat you? And they, and they sort of took it a, a bit of a step too far. And, but Jesus doubles down and goes, well, come to think of it, yeah. If you, if you don't eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And he doesn't attempt to explain that or justify it. He just puts it right out there and says, what are you going to do about that? What are you, how are you going to process this? How are you going to look at life with God? I've just made it seem so uh, unexplainable. And yet... I'm expecting you to have faith in the absence of understanding. Incredible passage. And it goes on in John 6, 66. He says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? He asked of the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And really, it's our same story in our processes of deconstruction. We come to this point where all I understand has been broken down, but all I know is that you are God. You are the Messiah. 
You know, and we'll often come to these points where we're confronted with, with uh, concepts or, or apologetics of, of science. And we say, I, I'm not qualified to have this argument. I, I can't to or fro uh, validate this, my, my belief in God just from science or the way I'm interpreting the Bible. I don't have the qualifications or knowledge to back that up. And we look at God and we go, he doesn't fit the religious box. Um, and yet we can say, I've seen the miracles. You know, I've, I've, as a disciple said, I've heard God speak on the mountain. Uh, I know I'm a new creation. So where else am I going to go? In the absence of all other understanding, I yet I have this fundamental part of me that knows. He exists because I know it in my heart. And Romans 8.16 really does confirm this basis of our belief. When everything else gets broken down, we actually have got theological permission to come back and say, I just know in my spirit. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He's saying the spirit in you, ultimately it will often boil down to this point where it doesn't matter what argument comes against you. It doesn't matter what you fail to understand anymore, but you know this God is in my heart because his spirit is testifying with my spirit. Now we can zoom in on this passage in John 6 in a a whole other detail. It's almost like a hypertext link from John 6 over to Mark chapter 8, where it's the same period of ministry. It's the same set of conversations going on, uh, given through a different interpretation and lens of another gospel writer. And it's the same sort of conversation where it's, it's a question of who is Jesus. But this time Jesus is reflecting back to the disciples saying, you know, who do people say that I am? Now we pick it up in Mark 8, 27. He says, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, uh, some others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And it's pretty much all he knew. And yet Simon Peter, he had signed this contract of, of I believe in Jesus, I'm with him uh, very early on in the peace. You know, he, Jesus simply said, follow me. And, and Simon said, well, I'm in, I'm leaving it all behind and I'm in. And he did that with a whole suite of assumptions. And these assumptions were, well, Jesus, I'm following you because, not just because you're a good rabbi, I'm following you because I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the one who's going to overthrow Rome. There's, a, there's an empire shift coming. You're at it and I want to be at your right hand when that happens because I can see a really good seat happening in kingdom business when that, when that occurs. So he, he's friending up, you know, he, he's in early. But he hadn't really read the fine detail of the contract. But Jesus uses this moment when, when people are deconstructing uh, their ideas of Messiah and so on. He's using this moment to redefine uh, the fine print, saying, hang on, if you want to follow me, this whole idea of empires that you have in your mind, I need to shift this because I'm about the kingdom. The kingdom is not like human empires. It's a massive shift in Jesus' ministry and it becomes a massive shift in your life and my life when we digest what he's saying. Let's read it in Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them and say that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Why did he do that? Because it went against the agenda, the expectations that he had on God. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him uh, along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. 
And it's almost like Jesus is saying there, maybe I was unclear. Maybe, maybe uh, I didn't redefine the expectations on the way in. But let me do that right now. So let me clarify saying following me means turning away from the world's agenda. He's saying if you want to follow me and I'm expecting that life with me is following me, then you need to be turning away from everything, from the world, whatever the world offers. Your old life is dead. I'm not a ticket to fame. I'm not a ticket to empires. I'm a ticket to the kingdom and all that that means. You need to turn your back on absolutely, absolutely everything that would hinder following. So following becomes this core part of what it means to live life with God. And if we look at this through the wrong lens, this can seem incredibly sad and burdensome and, and costly, but only if the worldly things matter. And this is why he's saying it so clearly. So there's got to be a clear break here. That old life, that life where um, you just climb the ladders of life and, and build your empire, you can't have that and follow me. You can't do that because where I'm going to take you and where you need to be following, you can't take those things that, that rope you to the ground with you. You've got to be free. And this is not a burden. This is freedom. He's defining freedom. You're free from all that stuff. I'm bigger than all that stuff. This enterprise that I'm calling you to is bigger than any empire. And so it requires a perspective shift from a slave mentality to a son mentality. A slave mentality says, oh, the burden, oh, it's too much. How do I handle all of my life and handle this incredible expectation that God has upon me? I was kind of hoping he'd help me with my agenda a little bit. I was hoping he'd come beside me and I could plug him into my already difficult life and he could make it easier and better for me. God's saying, I'm not interested in making your empire building life any easier or better. Your comfort is not my priority. I want to cut you free from that. I want to give you freedom. I want to let you loose so you can follow me. Because only in following me is there true fruit. All the promises that I have for you of abundant life and peace and joy, they only come from following me. And you can only follow if you're untethered from the world out there. So it requires a switch from uh, an empire mentality to a kingdom mentality. But let's shift gears a little bit here. He's talking about following. What, did, what is this following? Well, in Jesus' day, it was really clear. Rabbis used to say, come and follow me. And it meant literally walk in the footsteps of the rabbi. So you'd follow his steps along. You'd go exactly where he was. You'd, you'd live your life to look like his life was living. Very clear, very simple mandate. But these days, you may have noticed Jesus isn't around. I mean, it, we, we can't see him. Uh, and yet we're still required to follow him. And so that not only is there a directive in there to, to live a, a Jesus-like life, there's also a directive in there to be responsive to his call, to hear him, to listen to him, to follow him, and to have a margin in our life where, as he leads, uh, we can follow. And so it's a twofold calling to follow. It's, it's, a, it's a movement of life, and it's a moment of life. So it's a movement in the sense that I'm going with him. I've formed my life in such a way that it's going uh, that way. I'm moving with him. I'm following Jesus. I'm living the, the life, uh, the lifestyle and the morals and the ethics and the power that Jesus would live. I'm, I'm heading true north, kingdom. But it's also a moment in the sense that I've got a margin in my life to say, I'm, I'm responding. I'm hearing you, God. You're saying, talk to that person, do this thing, do that. And you can see if I'm to have that sort of life where I'm living the movement and the moment, it requires me to be untethered from the burdens of the world. Because if Jesus, for example, requires me to or asks me, says, follow me over here, I'm, I'm working in this person's life, I need you to talk to him, then we, if we're worried about reputation, fear of rejection, all those sorts of things, which are coming under the bucket of empire building, it's our world, it's our fears, it's our stuff, you know, it's holding us back from following uh, what he wants us to do. And so there's movement and moment rely on that whole untethering aspect. And so 
But when it boils down a bit, and I'm sure most of us who, who are watching and listening to this, our hearts are in the right place. We want to do this. We want to follow. Um, but there are so many struggles in that. There's so much imperfection in that because we're imperfect and we're trying to follow a perfect God. Our lives are complex and we're mixed up in fear and faith. We can't find the difference between the two so often. You know, it's like, where am I going? And so we have this struggle of learning how to follow. We long to be faithful, but it's a, it seems to be a hard work, work for us. Sometimes we think, well, I've, I've made a choice to follow you. I've done something. I thought he was guiding a certain way. But it's almost like, man, I turned right and God turned left. What, what went wrong there? How come I couldn't hear? Why does it appear to be so wrong? Is it wrong? Or is it just that the circumstances I've followed him into are not very comfortable? And so I'm identifying lack of comfort with lack of guidance. Perhaps it's something like that. Sometimes uh, it's, it's an issue of, well, I've received a prophetic word or scripture has spoken to me. I'm sure God's spoken. And yet that thing which is promised, that guidance that I was waiting for, it never really came. It, it, I was sure I heard it from God. I was sure I was doing the right thing. But how could, how could it not open the door that was promised? Or certainly not yet. So these issues become very confusing and they take a lot of energy and sap the life out of a lot of, a lot of Christian folk who aren't used to the struggle and the tension of this sort of war. And so many of us who would be listening to this are just probably grappling with, with this whole idea of what it means. So let me break down a few myths and give a couple of principles of what it is actually like to follow God. The first myth we need to break is the fact that following what Jesus calls us to do and being the person God calls us to become, is not, uh, it's not, the indicator of that is not necessarily comfort. He's not going to lead us to a place necessarily. that We love Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. He's talking about rest there. But that's not the same as being called into a moment and a season of discomfort. Any growth, any change, and God's about growth and change in your life and mine. Any, any sense of growth and change will feel uncomfortable. And we can still find rest in that discomfort. But comfort is not an indicator necessarily of God's leading. Uh, and another, one, another myth to break is that guidance will always and necessarily be clear. We all wish it was. We all wish that God would use his outside voice. Just go here, just do that. And for a number of reasons, uh, clarity seems to be missing. We, we, we can get the sense of mixed messages. Um, we can have varied opinions of the godly people around us who might be trying to give us God's wisdom. It can be confused. Guidance isn't always clear. And um, this is a real issue. And just as Jesus wasn't worried about that in John 6 and Mark 8, he's not stressed about that now that we become stressed because we want to be obedient the slave mentality comes in going i just want to hear the master tell me go left or go right but he's got a whole other agenda that sometimes a lack of clarity a lack of almost seeming distance actually grows the further agenda that he's after because he's after relationship he wants us to press into him he's after fundamentally uh, a walk of faith and to follow god requires faith and this is the key first principle of following god it's going to require faith. He will, he will lead us in a way that requires faith. He will, he will lead, us, lead us into places and circumstances where self-reliance uh, is inadequate, where what he calls us to do is really impossible. You can't have that experience without discomfort. You can't go into that experience without requiring faith. And that's faith that relies on him to come through. And so God will guide us when, it, when he calls us to follow he calls us to follow him into somewhere where he is required. So, therefore, we have to be untethered from the world. That's why he says, you've got to cut this thing off. I need you to follow, and you need to follow beyond the place of your own strength. Because ours is a walk of faith. 
And so we prefer formulas to faith, obviously. We want a loud voice from God. We want clear circumstances. We want everyone around us in agreement. We want it to make sense. It'll all be clear because we're looking for comfort. He's looking for faith. Okay, so you can start to see, ah, in our early days of faith, quite often he will show very clear, very um, unmistakable guidance because he's growing childlike faith in us. But as we mature, as we get older and older in the faith, we find sometimes that guidance isn't as clear because he's wanting to grow wisdom. He's wanting to grow that faith in our life. And so God's committed to taking you well beyond self-reliance. So first of all, following God will require faith. But secondly, it will probably require worldly cost. This is again why we must be untethered. If we're constantly uh, looking back and saying, I'm not sure I can follow God because the cost is too high. He's saying, this is not how the kingdom works. Jesus was crystal clear about that. He said, anyone who turns his head back to the plow, looking back to life that way, is not worthy to build the kingdom. I mean, he drew a very clear line with this sort of thing. Um, I'm sure he'd get himself in, in just as much trouble now as he did then. Ultimately, he was crucified for the things he said. But can you imagine in our uh, day and age with the screaming that's going on in media about cancelling this and you can't say this, you can't do that. And here's Jesus saying, I'm expecting you to uh, cut off all these comfortable aspects of your life. If it costs you your family, if it costs you your income, that's what I'm expecting out of you. Can you imagine trying to pull a stunt like that today? He'd probably get crucified. And he's saying, this is a life I'm expecting you to live as well. And so Jesus constantly linked the worldly cost to uh, following him. So he'd say things like, take up your cross and follow, sell all you have and follow me. Uh, one person tried to say, I'll follow you, but let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus goes, no, 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 I need you to follow. You're either following uh, or you're not following. And so the price that we're paying there, the worldly price may include uh, relationships, finance, prestige, time, all the things that empire building self-oriented world includes. Now, that's not at the expense of a compensation. Jesus compensates more than enough. He says, I've promised you abundant life. I've given you joy, unconditional peace. that's so much grander than all that. Anything that I can offer you, I'm giving you much more. But you can't have that and have this because they don't coexist. And so it's not like Jesus is our debtor. He's, uh, he, he will give us abundant life, uh, but we have to do it his way. And this leads me to the last point. The true following will really build the kingdom and not your empire. This is really vital for us to know because often we're, we're asking for God to guide us and we're asking for him to open doors. But sometimes it's helpful to reflect on why. That what's our motive here? Am I asking God to get beside my agenda and build it because I want a promotion at work. I want a, I want a house. I want a spouse. I want kids. I want health. I want all this sort of stuff. So our prayer life is saying, God, will you bless that? You know, and uh, he doesn't always promise. Well, he actually, in fact, he never promised that life would go easy for us, or, or that his plan is that he would always just fix all our stuff. He said, I'll give you more than that. I'll give you peace despite all that. And um, it, he said, there's a worldly cost to this whole thing, and and and. If that worldly cost is then no longer an issue to you, then the kingdom is available. So it's empires or kingdoms. You know, we're born again so that we're no longer slaves. Now we're sons. And so that requires dying to that old life and living to the new one. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to uh, lead us into the potential of high achievement or what could be seen in the world's eyes as high achievement. But it's not about ladder climbing here. It's, it's about what's he trying to do there. Um, because God's not against... Uh, any of us having money. It's a non-issue to him. It's a matter of, well, can you steward that? 
for the kingdom. Is, is what I'm leading you into about the kingdom or is it about your empire? So if he leads us into high achievement through life, if he opens doors in business or, or academia or government or whatever it might be, he might make you an influencer on Instagram or something. Uh, but what's the motive? Because the motive will determine whether that door opens or not. And we may find that this one door will open in that area for some person that we know in, in the faith and, and not for us and wonder why. And it's because God's dealt with our heart to the point where this person is following a kingdom agenda and God's doing a kingdom work there. And, and ours may be just too uh, impregnated with the leaven uh, of empires and so on. And so we can tell the difference there because the motives and the energy and the glory seeking, all those sorts of things, we can tell where our heart is at there. Is, is it important to us or are we doing something that's important to the kingdom? You know, for many years, God led me into the business world. I, I was under the impression from a very young age in my 20s that I had a calling of, of God to go into ministry. And yet all the doors only opened in the business. And, and yet I had a very clear sense, God, I don't know why, but I can tell you're calling me in the business. And I never had ambition for business. Uh, I never wanted to climb the corporate ladder, but, but those, those doors and those opportunities opened before me. But being aware of God's calling into that area, it was, it was something, and, and you may be able to um, uh, appreciate and, and understand this too, that you can tell God's up to something. You can tell he's building skills for a kingdom reason. He's introducing us to people who need kingdom influence. And there are skills and character and things that I need to learn because he's got an agenda down the road that I don't know about yet. And he's got to build that into my life. And so you can begin to tell, you can feel in your own heart the difference between kingdom building and empire building, whether you're following Jesus or you're asking Jesus to follow you. If I'm empire building, I'll, I'll generally feel a fair deal of anxiety and fear at the idea of redundancy or insignificance. If the, the idea of being nobody will really irritate me. You know, and so we can tell that's an empire building mindset we've got there. I want my life and my name to be notable, to be noted. It matters to me that I'm significant in the world's eyes. Uh, if I'm empire building, I can't say yes easily to a lesser life or a demotion or doing the lowly things. Uh, I said, don't you know who I am? You know, don't you realize I'm bigger than that? I've got all these other capacities. I should be doing this. That's an empire building mentality. That's, that's, uh, that's the life that we need to be cutting off. Whereas a kingdom mentality says, my heart is for those people around me, whether they're lowly or whether they're high. My heart is for them and for them to be able to meet and walk with Jesus. A kingdom mentality says I can see God's agenda in all that I'm doing here. And I, and I hold it with very loose hands. That's the kingdom working in my life. And there's an underlying peace and security, regardless of what sometimes is a mountain of stress upon our life. So I can still have all that and still be at peace because it doesn't really matter that much to me. And I'm not worrying about my own reputation or my own agenda, my own finances and so on. You can only do that with a kingdom mentality. So deconstructing our faith will normally bring us to the point where my understanding runs out, but my experience of God remains. And I can choose then, am I going to follow or am I not going to follow? And this requires an emotional and a spiritual margin to be in place. Our life can't be full to the brim of all that life brings us. We've got to be able to have a margin to hear and respond. A margin to remember that I am holding life with loose hands. And so that requires a different type of life, a different pace of life. And sometimes the lives that we're living, we're looking for God's guidance to get an upgrade. He might be saying, well, I need you to have a bit of a downgrade in the load upon your life so that you can have a margin to follow me properly. So I wonder if God's uh, leading you. I wonder if you're seeking God now, you're, you're wanting to follow. 
uh, and you've been unclear. Maybe a few of these principles have helped you out. But one thing I know, if God's calling you to follow, it's going to require of you in your stage of maturity, of your stage of life, probably a new or an upgraded facet of faith. You're going to need faith. You're going to need to be able to say, I'm relying on you. I can't do this without you. And that may be for many reasons, because there's there's an increase in the expectations or there's a a real opportunity for you to go low and go slow. And that requires faith for you to do that. So let me pray for you now uh, as you seek to follow God and lay your life upon the cross as he did to follow him. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray for each one who's listening. I pray your blessing and your revelation of who you are would be upon them. Father, I pray that you would let them know the freedom. Let them see the opportunity of what it looks like. If I just don't have a care and a concern for the empire of my life, that I can cut that tether free, that I can be free with you to follow, to be free from the obligation to the world, to be free of uh, the need to be somebody, to have something and do something. I can know the joy and the incredible depth of peace that only comes from knowing you and following you. Father, give them a grand picture and a vision of that. And Lord, I pray, give each one the faith to follow what you're saying. Make it clear. And Lord, uh, give them the strength to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. It's been wonderful. And uh, I hope to see you again soon. It's great to have you join us online for church. Bye for now. Oh, we're free.